This morning's first reading comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. This can be found on page 1173 of your Bibles and on the screens in front of you. That's Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you won a big prize, a really big prize, and had a choice, the choice was a nice set of rooms or a mansion what do you think you'd choose? Mansion people, stick your hand up. Oh no, you're a very modest lot, right? So most of you want rooms. I mention it because many of you, older people, will have been brought up on the King James Version of the Bible. This is one of them, where the English is Old English, Elizabethan English. And in today's reading, Jesus says, is made to say in the modern version, in my father's house are many rooms. But the old version says, in my father's house are many mansions. Quite a difference. So mansion or rooms, it matters not one iota, because what matters is we shall be with Jesus. And Jesus is talking about going away to prepare a place for his disciples and by, for us. So he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Mike, did you ever meet Bishop Thomas, uh, Timothy Bavin? A sad loss in your life. Bishop Timothy ordained me in 1986, and soon after that, <clears throat> he came to Christchurch, Portsdown, where I was serving my first curacy. And I want to tell you, he would approve of the way that Mike baptized this morning, particularly Jack. Because Timothy Bavin said, I want you... I'd only been ordained a matter of minutes to be my curate this evening because he was coming to Christchurch for a confirmation service and two of the candidates were going to be baptized first. They were teenagers. And he says, be warned, I use a lot of water. I got soaked. Please, would you take your service note sheets which you've got? Turn to the inside, and as Mike and Rachel have informed us at the beginning of the service this morning, we're in our annual series of sermons on prayer, and this time Mike has prayerfully chosen himself that we should look at some of the tremendous prayers of Paul as recorded in the epistles. And last Sunday, Mike was preaching from 1 Corinthians 1 on prayer for wisdom, and he asked the church to pray for him that he might have wisdom in his interviews the following uh, few hours' time with those who had um, put themselves forward to become an assistant minister here working with Mike. And in the first paragraph under this week, you will see the name Reverend Jichesh Patel. I'd never heard that before I came this morning, and it's not the sort of name that will readily trip off your tongues. Please, all St. Jude's people, say it with me now. Jitesh Patel. Again, Jitesh Patel. Look up. Jitesh Patel. Why I've done that silly little exercise, I want to invite you to pray for this man over the coming weeks. He's not coming, Mike tells us, until possibly November. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a number of us went up to him just before Christmas, perhaps, and said, it's great to have you here at St. Jude's. We've been praying for you since Sunday the 2nd of, July, of August. I want to tell you it would be an enormous encouragement to him. Get into the habit of praying for our ministers. So as Mike and Rachel have advised us, we've got this series of Paul's prayers and this morning is hope. Next Sunday, God willing, Nigel will be preaching on love. The following Sunday, Joss McCabe on good works. Nigel again on the 23rd of August on fellowship, and Michael, I think, rounding off the series on endurance. 
Now, Mike led us in a prayer that the Holy Spirit would come on the reading and the preaching of God's Word, to which we all now say again, Amen. So what is hope? Well, according to modern understanding, it's a wishy-washy, maybe or maybe not, or a kind of unsure optimism. The modern idea of hope is, quotes, to wish for or to expect, but without certainty of fulfillment, to desire very much, but with no real assurance of getting your desire. I really hope the weather will be fine when I go on holiday. I really hope my wife will behave. No, 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 don't tell her. I, I, I told you that because it's, it's, it's a fruitless hope, that, that, that one. <laughs> I meant, actually, that would be her prayer for me. But seriously, what are we praying for? The Daily Telegraph yesterday reporting on a recent conference of school teachers after telling a horrific incident <clears throat> went on to say quotes it comes as little surprise then that at a report to the annual conference of the association of teachers and lecturers has revealed that a quarter of the union's members have been physically attacked in the past 12 months or that half of the teachers say that low-level disruption has got worse in the last two years. My friends, we live in a hopeless world, and it starts with the failure and breakdown of family life and therefore schools who aren't allowed to discipline children. Laws are going through that may stop parents on pain of some penalty from smacking their children. God said, spare the rod and spoil the child. Okay, we've gone overboard in the other direction with child abuse in a few occasions, but discipline is a thing that is missing across our world. The Hebrew or Greek words translated hope in our Bibles are always words of absolute certainty. Unlike any other person or government, our God is a God who can be trusted to keep his word. So as Christians living now... What are you hoping for? In his letter to the church at Ephesus that was read to us, the Apostle Paul writes, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So when you pray for your friends, what do you pray for? <clears throat> My darling had a nasty on her leg, which the doctor, the dermatologist, thought needed further examination. And on Friday, she had a um, biopsy, which went a bit bad last night, which is why she's not here this morning. 
we hope and we pray that the Lord will put his finger of healing on this and it will become a non-event. But what do you pray for your friends for? That God will bless them? <coughs> That's wonderful. God bless America. But here Paul says, I pray, and the, the tense of the verb there in the Greek is, I go on praying. He's acknowledged that there are Christians. He's praised them for their love and their faith. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance. That's the sort of prayer we should be praying for one another. For Mike and for Mr. Patel, when he comes, God willing, in November, pray that they may know God better. Okay, have you got that? Pray that Mr. Patel, as he finds and follows God's will and God's way <clears throat> over the next three months or so, will grow to know God better. Don't accept the blessings that God has given Michael in the past. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. These men need God's blessing in their lives every single day. <clears throat> and if they don't find it and receive it from the Lord, this St. Jude's church will become a wishy-washy, I hope it'll be all right type church, which is not what we want it to be. Pray for them according to the way Paul taught us. So what is this hope to which God has called us? Verse 15, at the start of our reading, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the start of this hope. It's that we might have faith in Jesus. Earlier in this chapter, <clears throat> Paul had written, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. A little later he goes on, you also were included in him when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. So here is exactly what it means to be a Christian. Coming to church does not make anyone a Christian. Baptism does not make anyone a Christian. That's in the word of God. But faith in the Lord Jesus, which we pray these lovely little ones will grow into, hence the questioning, that will bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption through his blood. If I asked any one of the three of them, <clears throat> what do they think about redemption in the blood of Christ? Meaningless, isn't it? That's why those vows and those prayers that you parents and godparents have made are so vitally important. Because it goes on to speak of the third reason of what it means to be a Christian, the forgiveness of sins, all wrapped up in the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. That's why Mike has given them, on behalf of the church, these Bibles. 
Parents, keep the promises you've made. Teach the little ones the Word of God. They won't understand it for weeks, months. But if they grow up with the name of Jesus in their ears, how wonderful. So that's exactly what it means to be a Christian. Firstly, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our first reading that Mike chose came in, or the second reading actually, <clears throat> from John's Gospel, chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I wonder if anyone knows exactly what has come before 14 verse 1. Anyone? Still got some teaching to do, Mike. Jesus has just been telling Simon Peter at the last summer, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times that you ever knew me. And then he goes on, don't let your hearts be troubled. Isn't that wonderful? The passion of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is looking forward tomorrow for that dreadful trial, scourging and crucifixion and death. And he's more concerned, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm making a home for you, whether it's a room or a mansion. Looking around, I think most are probably eligible for small rooms. No, no, no. My mother lived on so long. We used to say to her that they were having a building problem in heaven. That her mansion wasn't ready yet. That's what Jesus is doing now. Think of this, Christian. Think of this. The Lord Jesus Christ now, he's doing many things. He's interceding for us. He's praying to the Father for you and me individually. <clears throat> he's praying for these little ones and their mums and godparents. But also he is preparing a home for each one of us who has faith in him. And there's absolutely no other way to enter that home because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Secondly, notice again that little phrase in Ephesians 1, redemption through his blood. This speaks to me of the enormous cost that it cost God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for Jesus to do what he did. Can you imagine... I'm, I'm not being sacrilegious, but, but just for a moment, go to the imagination of God, and I say reverently, my son, it's, it's, it's time for you to go down to earth, to become the seed in a virgin's womb, to live and show people me, and then to die on the cross, taking my punishment of their sin on you. Galatians chapter 3, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. The cost to God was enormous.
Can you imagine what the father must have felt like as he watched his son beaten for you? We say so glibly with his stripes we are healed. Can you imagine what it meant to the father to see his beloved son brutalized? My friends, the cost of your redemption was enormous. Writing to the church fellowship in Rome, the apostle who also wrote this letter that was read to us, wrote this, God demonstrates to us his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank God. Thank God. He didn't wait until I'd been baptized or confirmed or ordained or drawn into the ministry of a church and therefore had achieved a given sort of status and uh, relationship with him. No. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know, the Lord Jesus Christ knows how you are going to let him down tomorrow. Shall I say that again? The Lord Jesus Christ knows how you are going to let him down tomorrow. And the amazing thing is that he's willing to forgive you today. If I went out into the street tomorrow and spoke about one of the fellowship here that I know well and said, oh, he or she is an absolute slag, do you know what they do? And then went on to fill that purse. Would you feel like forgiving me today? That is the quality of the love of God. Have you been introduced to the love of God? Because another interpretation or another rendering of that same verse, Romans 5, verse 8, is that God introduced his love toward us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thirdly, to be a Christian means that we know the forgiveness of our sins. We've looked at the cost, the death of Jesus. <coughs> Have we received that gift? <clears throat> Paul said in writing to the church at Rome, the wages of sin is death. The result, the penalty, the normality of life is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I take off my wristwatch which was a very special present given to me by my wife following the death of her mother. I don't think a day's gone by when I haven't worn it. And, and, and let's say I'm genuinely, I want to give it to you. What do you have to do? Well, first of all, you have to believe that I'm being honest, which I'm not. And, and, and secondly, you have to take it. And thirdly, I hope you would say thank you. And we have to take the gift of God, salvation that he has given us, without our taking it, it's just there on the shelf, as it were. That's why Paul wrote in our reading for today, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What's our ambition today? As a church, St. Jude's, 
What's our ambition for Jack and Theo and Thomas? And I pray it won't be for good health. Oh, yes, that's important. It won't be so that they'll do brilliantly in their schools, which knowing two of the parents, I'm sure they will. It's not though so that they'll be greatly successful and marry a rich heiress, but that they may know him better. Please, let that be our prayer as we go from this baptism service this morning, to pray that these little ones may come to know him better. You see, Christianity is getting to know God. David and Orshi on my right have been married for six years and nine days. I know that. I was there when it happened. They're no more married now than they were six years and eight days ago. But they're getting to know each other better day by day. As I said to the congregation earlier on this morning, I am an absolute masterclass pastmaster at knowing how to upset my wife. And that's come over the last 55 years. I'm brilliant at it. You ask her one day. I give you permission. Ask her. But I want to get to know him better. And as Wendy and I have gone in life, we've had all sorts of ups and downs. It's by the grace of God we are still married and happily so. But together we're getting to know him better. Someone asked me earlier on this morning between the services, what did you learn most from your theological college? I said, to know God. And it wasn't a careless thing because I said, I went on to say, I didn't pick up from the much of the academic lectures because I've only got wood between these two outside of the knowledge of how to fly an aeroplane. I'm thick. And I found that sort of side very, very difficult. But I learned to know more of the Lord because in the summer vacation between the two years that I did at Oak Hill, Wendy was taken down with MS. And for seven weeks, she was in a hospital as a complete and utter cabbage. Nobody knew what it was that was wrong with her. Oh, how wonderfully we thank God for allowing us to go through that situation because in it and through it, we learnt so much more of his love for us. So we have a real hope of our faith in Christ now. We have our redemption through his blood now. We have a wonderful inheritance in the future. I wonder if anyone here knows the name of Thelma Howard. Well, Thelma Howard was a servant to quite a wealthy American family. And each year, her boss, at the end of the year, would give her shares in his company. She neither understood them, she was not illiterate, she didn't understand them, and she just stuffed them in a drawer. And year after year went by, and when she died, she died really very poor. 
and her family came into the apartment which was hers and they found her few belongings but they also found a drawer stuffed with bits of paper because each year she had put one of her boss's share certificates in his company in that drawer. When they got these certificates out and took them to an actuary, they realized six million dollars. And Thelma Howard had been living close to poverty all her life and didn't know that she was a multi-millionaire. They never realized what her boss, a chap called Walt Disney, had been doing for her. Did you hear? what Keith read to us in the John's Gospel passage. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now that is the hope that you and I have. Not some airy, fairy, wispy thing which will disappear tomorrow, but something real and tangible that we can hang on to by faith. Remember your inheritance. You've got a fantastic reason for hoping in God. May the Lord bless us each one for his name's sake.